This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Monday the 10th of May 2021. And Norman, I go away for two days and New South Wales has had a coronavirus outbreak. What's going on? Yeah, every time you go away, Tegan, something happens. So... New South Wales has gone into partial restrictions, nowhere near a lockdown, and they're continuing for another week beyond what they thought originally. And new cases have not emerged since the two the other day. And of course, the source of this, well, we don't really know what the source is of this outbreak, but it's from this one person who has contracted the virus and it doesn't seem to know where they got it from. There's no obvious links to hotel quarantine or a return traveller. So how, I mean, how worried should we be that we haven't actually found the source of this outbreak? Well, we know the source is the uh, man who came into the country with the B1617.2 variant. But what we don't know is how it got from that man to the man in the current outbreak who then passed it to his partner. So that's the mystery, is is where the transition occurred, where the spread occurred. Clearly, the man who came into quarantine, hotel quarantine, had to move. So there were were elements of possible exposure outside that. But I think that the New South Wales Department of Health is assuming that this was actually probably quite a brief contact somewhere along the line, rather than something, you know, rather than somebody obvious. Obviously, they've looked at the obvious people, the drivers, the nurses looking after them and so on, and they've obviously turned up negative. So it's some other glancing contact that they haven't been able to detect that caught the virus and spread it to this other person either directly or indirectly. And what they're worried about, of course, is that it's secondary spread beyond that intermediate source. So you just said the variant is called B16172. It's a bit of a mouthful. I wish they'd give us snappier names for these. But what do we know about this variant? Well, in the last little while, the British government has declared this a variant of concern. So the the 1.617 group of variants are what are called the Indian variants. So they seem to have arisen in India, Maharashtra state towards the end of last year. And there are subtypes of this. So there's the 1.617.1. That's the one that you might have heard of, the double mutant, where they're worried about it may be vaccine resistant. And that's considered a variant of interest. The point two doesn't have that particular mutation on it that makes them worried about vaccine resistance. And there's a point three as well. The reason why they've gone for the Indian variant point two as a variant of concern is that it's highly contagious. And what they believe is that it's at least as contagious as the 117, the Kent variant or the UK variant, which was considerably more contagious than the original virus. And there are hints that it may be able to muscle out the 117, so it might be even more contagious than that. So they've named it a variant of concern because of contagiousness, although it's too early to say whether or not this may have some vaccine resistance as well. So we know that this man has managed to catch it and we're not exactly sure how, but there's been other outbreaks in recent Uh, weeks and months as well. And someone on Twitter is asking the question on everyone's lips, if these variants are so contagious, why haven't we actually seen more spread from them? First thing that needs to be said is that the variation in human behaviour still probably beats the contagiousness of the virus. So it's certainly true that with a more contagious virus, you probably need less virus to become infected and therefore less contact. 
And that would fit with the story in New South Wales because it may well have been a very brief contact that took the virus from the original person arriving in the country to an intermediate source. And then who knows how it got from there to the person in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. But the first thing is that human behaviour is the thing to look for. Secondly, then, there's the virus itself. And thirdly, there's the nature of the coronavirus, which is that 80% or so of people don't spread it. At all? Yeah, it's, it's, it's complicated because you go through various levels of infectivity during your sequence of infection. And you might have heard of the CT value, which is really called cycle time, which is really the number of cycles that they've got to go through this PCR mechanism to amplify the RNA in the virus to actually get a positive result. So the more cycles they've got to go through to get a positive result means the less virus you've got on board. So they've got to work harder to get a positive result. The lower that score means that it's, the, it's easier to detect the virus. So your CT value is high early in the infection, meaning you've, got, you've not got very much in, in virus on board, gets low for a few days, which means you've got a lot of virus on board. Then it gets high again where you haven't got very much in that sort of sequence of your viral infection, maybe lasting two weeks, or in some cases, much more than that. So there's a period of time where you're highly infectious. Now, if, if your behavior during that three or four days is that um, you, know, you, you weren't necessarily feeling very well, you don't know you had COVID, you didn't go and get tested, but you stayed home, you might have taken particular care, then at your period of maximum infectivity, you might not have been out and about. You might have been older and more concerned about it rather than younger. All sorts of variables prevail here. But the fact of the matter is that you, and we saw this with the Northern Beaches outbreak of last year, was that you can get this running away from you very, very quickly. And so there's no guarantee that every spread is going to be like Western Australia or Queensland with virtually zero cases appearing even with lockdown. And in this case... It's just really worrying that um, it's a highly contagious virus and we don't know where the middle group were. And it may well be that that group has burnt itself, that group's viruses have burnt themselves out and they're not a worry anymore, but there's no way of knowing that. And when you have only one or two cases in the whole country, then it makes sense that they burn themselves out quickly. But and when you start to scale that up, the numbers get so big so quickly. Like we've seen more than 4,000 deaths per day in India recently. At that scale, it just blows out of proportion so quickly. Yes. And, re- and remember, in India, it is again compounded by human behaviour and the way people live. It's more frequent in people living in multi-generational households in poor housing where it's impossible to stop the spread. So again, human behaviour is the issue and it probably, as I say, outperforms, if that's the right word, the contagiousness of the virus. Any virus in the Indian situation would be doing this, not just the the 617 versions. So can we talk a bit about Australia's pandemic response then? Because we're so sheltered and we have such low levels of virus here, it's really, we can so quickly lose sight of the urgency of the pandemic. And it, but it's getting pretty old that we have to go to these big restrictions when there's a case or two coming through. But vaccination numbers are increasing, but still very slowly. Yeah, they're, they're still very, very low in terms of us getting to herd immunity. We need to get to 70, 80, 90% by the end of this year. And we're not going to be anything like that at the current rate of immunisation. It just seems intractable to be increasing. And we've got plenty of vaccine around. We've got over a million doses of Astra available each week. 
that means we could get to 200,000 vaccines a day. And we're not getting there. And we're just simply not getting there. I'm hearing that the, uh, it's anecdotal, but I'm hearing that the aged care rollout is not moving as quickly as people believe. We are still using Pfizer in that environment, not with, for the under 50s. There are all sorts of issues. It's just going too slowly. And you could say, oh, well, we've got plenty of time here. We've not got the virus around. But we go into conniptions every time we've got a leak, and quite rightly so, because we're highly vulnerable. We would not be so worried about this if, let's say, 90% of people over 60 in Australia were immunised, which means that the people likely to get severe COVID are well covered and we don't need to worry so much. At some point, we're going to have to say we can open up and we are a long, long way from that point. Is it complacency on the part of individuals or is it the government not doing enough quickly enough or is it a combination of the two? We can unpick this endlessly. We stuffed up procurement, so we didn't get enough Pfizer to actually cover us. You know, 10 million doses was inadequate booking too late. We should have booked the same number of Pfizer doses as Astra doses because if it was truly an equal response across all the vaccine types, each of those vaccine types would have been bought in enough volume to immunise all Australians in the same period of time. And they didn't do that. So that's the first thing. So we were not properly insured against this um, in terms of our procurement strategy. There probably is some vaccine hesitancy to Astra. The recent cases last week announced by the TGA are around about the same rate of incidents that, you, that people, people were expecting, around about a 1 in 100,000 doses, but a much lower mortality rate. In fact, the mortality rate is coming down a lot because of probably early intervention and good treatment. So the Astra problem is not turning out to be quite the problem that people thought. It is significant, but if we want to stop being fearful every time something like this happens in New South Wales, we've actually got to get immunised incredibly quickly, particularly the people most at risk, and we've got a vaccine that can do that, which is AstraZeneca. And But then also there's some people who probably should be higher on the list for the Pfizer. We were talking last week and the week before about particular groups of people who are particularly susceptible to the virus and maybe even to uh, having prolonged infection, that is people who are going to go undergo chemo or have a transplant or are otherwise immunocompromised. Should they be in a priority group for Pfizer? I think there's a lot of frustration in the healthcare setting with healthcare workers about the fact that they're not able to immunise people over 50 who are having chemo or you're about to start chemotherapy or radiation or undergo a transplant. And the main reason for using Pfizer, well, there's two reasons for Pfizer, is that it's a bit more potent than the Astra vaccine. And those groups need every bit of potency they can get. And it's only three weeks between doses. So three weeks between doses and you're done and dusted, whereas it's 12 weeks with Astra. So you can get people covered very quickly so that they can get on with their cancer care and get put on the transplant list. So these are really important things to be done. And the, what you're hearing from the front line is that it's so rigid at the moment, they can't have it. Yeah, it seems like we need to be a bit more agile with our vaccines than we have been to date. Now, before we go, CoronaCast listeners will remember that last week we mentioned the ABC podcast Patient Zero is back with a second season. It's a podcast that tells stories of disease outbreaks, where they begin, why they happen, explodes a few myths, and we find ourselves in the middle of patient zero, in the middle of a pandemic. 
Uh, ABC Health reporter Olivia Willis is the host of Patient Zero, and she joins us now. Hi, Liv. Welcome Hi back. Thank you. Thanks for your help last week. Pleasure. So the first episode of season two is out, and it's actually about an Australian disease outbreak. That's right. So the first episode, we head back to Brisbane in 1994, and we tell the story of Hendra virus. So Hendra kind of began as this really mysterious outbreak in a horse stable in Brisbane, actually. In Hendra, as it so happens. In Hendra, as it so happens to be. Um, and With a so, tragic outcome, because the trainer, Vic Rail, died. That's exactly right. A bunch of his horses suddenly began collapsing. No one knew what was going on. It was very scary. Um, Their trainer then became unwell. He also eventually passed away. And so we kind of go back and talk to basically a group of vets, virologists, epidemiologists who were there at the time and look at some of the disease detective work they did to discover that the cause of the horse's death was this new, never-before-seen virus called Hendra. They oh, were, were able lucky to... It wasn't a pandemic virus because it has a 70% mortality rate. That's right. It's highly, highly fatal. But what was interesting was that they made the connection to bats. They discovered that that's where it had actually come from. And the rest is history, as they say. Well, that's right. I mean, in 1994, it was a surprising discovery. Now we all know bats are a kind of key reservoir of emerging infectious diseases. But at the time, people didn't know that. So that's, patients, that's, for, that's the first episode of season two. Where can people find Patient Zero? Yep, so they just need to look up RN Presents Patient Zero in the ABC Listen app or wherever they get their podcasts. We're heading off there right now. Thanks, Liv. <laughs> Thanks, Norman. And, of course, if you want to leave us a review, you can do so on Apple Podcasts and ask a question anytime by going to abc.net.au slash coronacast. And we'll see you tomorrow. See you then. <laughs>